the worst is to come. Like the first 10 to 15% that everyone's seen is yep. more sentiment than actual change in the market. And so banks are projecting that in the next three to six months, you're really going to see things fall off. When I started seeing things go wrong about a year and a half ago, I was like, oh, pff, six months, this whole thing's going to boil over. But yeah. I'm underestimating the amount of time that it takes for the rates to actually impact people. Things no, start man, falling over. I think over. overestimated people's willingness to sacrifice and be frugal because people are still spending. Unemployment is still super low. So these things that normally happen aren't happening yet. And they keep cranking and being like, surely people will get the point now, and surely the economy will slow down now, and it's not. You I'm cannot have both things. You can't have no inflation and everyone living a happy-go-lucky, I'm, I'm totally in agreement um, with that. wealthy life. All right, welcome to the Master Keys. I'm Chandler Halliburton. I'm Neil Andrino. And we are a podcast all about wealth creation through real estate investing. Uh, we talk about the markets. We talk about a little bit of everything. However, we come at it from a landlord and real estate perspective, because that's what we do. Uh, we own about 200 doors, 200 plus, uh, and we sell real estate as well. So that kind of guides our approach to all these things. If you're tuning in for the first time, thanks so much. Uh, we got some exciting content for you guys, and you can always check out our back catalog. Yeah, we got lots in the back end that talks about buying your first property, selling a property, everything you need to know to get started. We also have a Patreon that gets really in depth. And that reminds me, this numbers. is this is big here, guys. It, we had such success with this before, so we're doing a big promotion right now: a hundred dollar giveaway and one month free to our Patreon. All you need to do is like this video and comment below. You get one entry for each. So if you just want to like it, sure, that gets you one entry. If you like and comment, you get two entries. Uh, so double up. And if you're thinking of something creative for the comments, it can either be a question or just fire us out something. What you think your next investment gonna, is going to be, where you're listening from, anything like that, put it in because then you can see the Patreon, get a little extra scratch for you. It'll be good. So if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple iTunes, hop over to the YouTube video really quick, smash the like, quick comment, get entered. Really appreciate the support. Hopefully your comments are more creative than the followers on TikTok. Yeah, our TikTok commenters, <laughs> uh, you get nothing. You get nothing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're going to talk about uh, the decline in luxury items today. Something yeah. near and dear to your heart. <laughs> Something near and dear to my heart is, yeah, the, the world of luxury, it's been blowing up like crazy. Watches, cars, boats, real estate, clothes, everything like that. And so... It's a projected decline, and some things have already started to take a massive hit. Yeah. So we're going to get into that. We're also going to talk a bit more about the 0% mortgages. We've touched on them before, um, just as a news zero headline. Zero down mortgages. Not 0% on the loan, but zero down on them. Including closing yeah. costs, the whole works, um, targeting black and Hispanic communities. Does it sound too good to be true? A little bit. It does. At a weird time, too, when things are going on. Yeah. Uh, we also have the most expensive house in the world. Ooh, that's I, nice. You were looking at that, right? The I was, I, you know, I don't know if it's got enough you dabbled. for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so let's let's get into it. We have a few other news items just regarding kind of what's coming up, potential recessions, some unemployment, employment numbers, um, and also just some stuff regarding stocks, kind of making some projections on what their companies are going to do. Yeah. So it's always interesting to hear what these multi-billion dollar companies are doing. Uh, and usually they have enough people in the back end projecting for them really well so we can kind of gauge where the rest of the world's going to go with things. Yeah, and by the time this episode is released, we'll probably get a new Fed bank rate, which is expected to go up 75 points. So that's going to hammer the market yet again. Um, I think this is going to come out on, what, the 28th? Something like that? Um, All right, so I have to attack it, Chandler, right now. What's that? <laughs> I have to come after you right now. Why? What? Do you remember when we did the fixed versus variable podcast? Uh, probably. <laughs> I'm still sitting pretty. But... But here's the thing. At that time, fixed was 4.59. I remember I had some because I brought yeah. up the example of someone who signed it. Yeah. What's your worst variable right now? It just broke six. That's not possible. It was 5.45 with pre the 75 basis points. You were getting prime plus on your variables? Yeah, on commercial money. Uh, I'm still sitting prime minus on most of my stuff. With who? Maybe the commercial. Maybe the commercial. Res most residential. Of my, most residential. of my commercial stuff, I've always gone fixed, though, so... So I'm talking commercial, and that 4.59 yeah. was a commercial loan, and I'm just saying now. Uh, 4.59 fixed is pretty good. You probably should not lock, lock that one in. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one at that time, but at that time, we were not saying it. We were saying You were saying variable, 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 which would have been better at the time, but now those fixed are, well, I just signed a fix today at 6.69. Yeah, I signed one. I think it was, yeah, 6.4. Kind of yeah. yeah, and I did a variable at, at uh, 5.45, but I haven't even seen what it looks like now since the most recent hike. Um, 
Anyways, I just want to say, if anyone looks back or remembers that episode, I think taking fixed at that point in time for two years was the way to go. 4.59, 4.69. That money was... I think in a lot of part, we were, we were also referring to residential at that time. I was so, talking commercial. And I, I still maintain that. But <laughs> okay. um, yeah, it is hard out there for a variable player. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it, it's tricky. But hopefully they'll come back around, though. I'm feeling it's not going to be Q1 of next year. I'm now thinking Q2, Q3 before... Um, you, you heard know. it here first, folks. I'm thinking not next year at all. The rates won't come down at all next no. year? No. I think, I think they'll level well, where off. where are they going to level off? Well, sorry. They, I'm not going to say not at all, but they might come down a little bit. But I think you'll see like, oh, we dropped by 15 basis points. And I'm like, sweet, I'm still getting absolutely dusted by my 7% rate right now. Right. Um, I think it'll be the following year. I think next year is going to be a year of just like people starting on the hatches. The start of the year is going to be people starting to fall off. I think like the idea that we have in our heads is correct, but I think the timeline is too is too quick. This is like when I started seeing things go wrong about a year and a half ago. I was like, oh, pff, six months, this whole thing's gonna boil over. But yeah. I'm underestimating the amount of time that it takes for the rates to actually impact people, the cash reserves that every business and person carries, um, and then how long like it's each domino's like things no, man, start falling I think over. Overestimated people's willingness to sacrifice and be frugal because people are still spending. People are not stopping spending and. Unemployment is still super low. So these things that normally happen, people stop spending and people get laid off or whatever, aren't happening yet. And they keep cranking and being like, surely people will get the point now. And surely the economy will slow down now. And it's not. But the bigger underlying problem in there is that there's nothing they can do interest rate um, wise to slow down the cost of food because it's it's very expensive uh, food production right now. Um, They're... Keeping oil prices down artificially or not, we don't quite know, but oil prices are suspiciously low, and I think those are going to go back up, and there's no real interest rate that's going to be able to keep those down, uh, especially with everything going on in Russia. Up. And, you know, in China, the, the production arm, like, the supply side of things are it's just so, so expensive, and that is somewhat immune to monetary policy, because monetary policy focuses on the demand side, not the supply side, and demand isn't coming down nearly as much as, as it should be and we can't do anything about supply supplies demand's going to fall off a cliff when it, when it does happen it's going to fall off a cliff this, this is the worst part about this if things had started to ease off when i was kind of thinking originally but if it falls off a cliff then that would be good i hate to say it but like that's kind of what's they're supposed that's chandler's evil if no one's gathered yet this guy wants a super high interest rates and he wants it to fall off a cliff you I'm, cannot have both things you can't have no inflation and everyone living a happy-go-lucky, I'm, I'm totally in agreement um, with that. Wealthy life. But it's here's my one thing I was going to say. You said unemployment's super low. Now that you said it, I was going to wait till later. But unemployment's rising. Now, it's again, it's a one starting, month. Yep. It's a starting. And we I want to see at least two to three months of that growth to be affirmative. Because if you look at the unemployment charts, it does kind of... It's also lagging indicators, right? Like yeah. There's something called um, like wage stickiness. Uh, where it takes a long time for wages to come down because people have contracts that they've signed and agreed to or that they've negotiated. Um, they're part of a union. You know, all these things can't come down uh, overnight. They take a long time. Collective bargaining and, and all these things are, are there to protect uh, workers in times of, of strife and, and economic downturn. Yeah, so, so it takes a while. And, and this is kind of my thing, and this is what I was suggesting when I said I underestimated how long it takes things to turn over because... When you think about it, like everyone, there's still like I had a client over yesterday who's got a mortgage locked in at 1.74 percent, and he's not going to be opening that up for another year and a half. So it's like he's going to be fine for another year and a half. Um, these like job contracts, like you just said, there's a lot of things that are already in place that are going to take a while to expire. Cash reserves that people already carry, the cash reserves that yeah. businesses made a bunch of money during this time. There's also all the cash that was handed out to a bunch of people. So a bunch of people banked that money, a bunch of and people, a bunch of people sold houses, and a bunch of people made a bunch of money on their real estate. Real estate was a great yeah. way to generate wealth. People made money on their cars. Like it's like okay, for the last. 60 years, you've lost money on your car year over year, but almost everybody was able to buy in and out of a car in the last three years and not spend nearly what they expected. They traded in their leasing a cash back. Um, but the, like I want to say is in Nova Scotia, for the first time now in a while, well, not first time because we, we've had it a bunch of times, but in the most recent times, we're seeing unemployment tick up from 5.9 to 7.6%, which is a fairly large bump. Wow, that's a huge bump. That is a huge bump. That's 25%. Um, over the one month period, but again, it's 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 hard because the numbers fluctuate like this based on immigration and what's going on. So I'd yeah. want to see at least two, if not three, months of consistent growth on that number, or it staying above the five point nine. So if it's seven point six this month, 
and then like seven next month and then seven and a half again. That's just showing yeah. in general that it is trending upwards. But it's just scary to hear it when I saw that because in my head, this whole thing that's been keeping me like, oh, yeah, things are going great is that people are like, well, employment, our strong employment is going to keep us getting us through this. And I'm like, keep getting us through this. Sorry. And I'm like, OK, sweet. And now that I saw the headlines being like unemployment's going up, I'm like, oh. That's yeah. not gonna get us through this, and like the causes stuff is super super high. Like I just, it's it's gotta give. Anyways, I didn't want to get into that right off the hop, but you 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 mentioned that stuff, and so I'm just I'm nervous, and and so maybe I'll get into the the first thing that I was talking about, and this is regarding housing. Like I think the worst is to come. Like so I think the shell shock that we've seen so far. And tell me if you think you're, I'm right or wrong, but it, like the first ten to fifteen percent that everyone's seen. I think some of the more hot markets have seen up to twenty twenty five percent is yep. more sentiment than actual change in the market. Like, it's more just people being like, oh, shit, consumer I saw the confidence. news. It's yeah. consumer confidence is dying, but people haven't really faced it yet, and that's because their pre-approvals haven't run up yet. Like, there's still people that are coming out. Like, I had an investor last week who's like, I got to get this thing sorted out in the next, whatever it is, 40 days, because I have a pre-approval that's locked in until the end of that, yep. and I want to close on this bad boy at this rate. And they're still in the the four, four ranges, which really aren't that bad. Um, and so banks are projecting that in the next three to six months you're really going to see things fall off because then there, people are going to be starting to get hit with a stress test at these new higher higher rates and the spending power is not going to be there on top of again what's going on with the unemployment and inflationary costs elsewhere well also like seasonal right like everyone knows that in the fall and the winter the housing market slows down right so there's also going to be these things it'll be interesting to see what the seasonal adjustment is uh on these numbers because volume the actual volume of sales is historically dropped off a cliff already. Yeah. And that has actually helped to protect some of the real estate prices because sellers are just deciding, okay, if the buyers aren't confident, I'm not confident either. So sellers just aren't putting their homes on the market. Um, what if and people so, get forced, though? Well, like to your point, that's going to take a while for them to get forced. And we've, we've covered this before. One in three homeowners has no mortgage at all. The remaining 50%, over half of them are on fixed products. Um, so you're talking about maybe one-third of real estate owners out there who are on variable products. And, uh, you know, it's it's hard to, to know what their um, resiliency is going to be, um, how long they'll be able to hold out, because what's their alternative? To sell it? potentially lose money and then rent an apartment for more than it costs for them to live in the house. Like it's not like if there are many viable opportunities and the mortgage payment is the last thing that causes someone to go bankrupt. Like there's all kinds of other worse debt that people sacrifice first. The first payment you make is and should be to your mortgage. Uh, it's those others, uh, you know, the visa debt, the line of credits is unsecured, the, you know, the elect, the Home Depot, the Best Buy card, all those other things that start crushing you uh, and were the sort of things that people racked up when money was no object, those have a way higher interest rate. Um, so I don't know that it'll necessarily be the mortgages that put people... But the mortgage um, is the biggest one. Like your Home Depot line of credit, your unsecured line oh, of credit, absolutely. your it, car it's, payments it's, are not even half of what your mortgage it's the biggest. Be. It's the biggest one for sure. Um, but uh, it is the lower interest one and it's the one that people prioritize. So they will kick a lot of things down the road before that one hits them. But what you're talking about is if the unemployment spikes, well, now it's like a double whammy. It's one thing to have the, the high payment when you're employed if the unemployment goes up significantly. So then it's a question of, well, of those one-third of homeowners who are on a variable product, if it's even that high, it's, it's maybe a little bit lower, um, you know, how many of them might also suffer job loss, right? It, That's it's, what I mean. There's going yeah. to be job loss and be cuts. Cause like, I mean, big, big companies like... A bunch, a bunch of people I'm sure listening saw last week that Ford and FedEx announced that they're going to miss their earnings targets or profits targets by a ton. Like Ford was projected by to make three billion in the last quarter. They're saying they're probably going to make about one point seven. That's enormous. Hmm. Like that's almost a half cut on your profits. Uh, and what's going to happen from that? It like they're saying they're getting gouged by suppliers, but I think they're dancing on the fact that they're having way less demand. And it's because people people don't want to buy right now because car financing is five nine nine seven nine nine. But the margins must have come down on some of those vehicles too. And but it's on it's both that like I think yeah. I think the inflationary pressure from all the suppliers is a thing, but it's also there's gonna be less purchasing going on, and so is they're it also because they're people Ford? off. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. I like wow. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no comment. But I am a GM GM person. But um, so there's that. 
is like those people like even good paying jobs in the in the secure jobs people are like well i work at four like i will never get laid off because it's a massive company yeah they're gonna start seeing those happen um i guess the other thing i want to talk about like regarding the pricing on that topic is look at a lot of like i feel like a lot of canadian mortgages are wealth-based approvals like we've talked about this a little bit before, but like in places like Ontario, I'm going to throw a stat in a second. They, here, yeah. Okay, perfect. They, they in Ontario, a lot of homes are wealth based approval. Like it's not income, like buying a million and a half dollar house. It's just because they had so much money in the previous house. But then when you spike the interest rate, the house price goes down in value. Now your wealth's going down in value. You don't have the income to support it. And if you had a variable payment on like $2 million, your payment's going to go up by like $5,000 a month. Like, I just again, I'm I'm I've so, always been a fear monger on here, but I feel like it's been since the start of this. We've been slowly like turning the heat up on this pot that's got to boil over. And again, they're just I, I saw the stat about the unemployment, and I was like, holy crap! So like, stat this can got real. release this that from May, June, July. Okay, so this mm -hmm. number has grown since then because we're now through to August, May, through June, October. July. <laughs> how much household net worth do you think was lost in Canada? Oh, I've seen I've seen some of these headlines like. It's like three hundred and seventy-four billion or one hundred and seventy-four billion. Three more than three hundred and seventy-four billion. We're talking three months here, man. Seven hundred billion. More. We're over a trillion dollars. We were nine ninety for those three months, which oh. means here in August right. well, and September, we are we've thrashed through a trillion. So in the last those three months, Canadian households across the board have lost nine hundred ninety billion dollars in yes. net worth. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, that's markets, um, investments, that's equity in homes. Yeah. How many people are in Canada? That's forty five million now? Are we up to forty five million? That's a lot of people. Is that twenty thousand per person? You're the math guy. I'm well you're the guy that words that's sorry, that, that many zeros they start falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> that's nine hundred and ninety million. Jeepers. That's, so that's a lot of billion. Zeros. So I'm just for everyone that's listening and can't see what I'm doing, I want to calculate on my phone right now. It's twenty two thousand dollars per person. So on average, including our little children, our children. Right, so like, think about that as like income earners, people in the prime of their life. That's probably your kids are upside down fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> it's pretty significant, yeah. Um, so you're right, and a lot of these pre-approvals are based on net worth, and and a lot of borrowing is based on net worth, and um, it's just getting kicked. And a teeth. lot of these, again, in a lot of these expensive places, people are buying with HELOCs, and HELOCs are usually variable. They're not usually a fixed setup payment term. Yeah. Um, and they're they're constantly flipping they're through these plus. houses. They're yeah. prime plus, so those have shot up. So, yeah. anyways, I'm just when I saw this, and I didn't again. Well, I don't even know what you said that got me into this, but well, it's got me all <laughs> revved up because I'm stressing the hell out. I don't know what to do. I need, I want to buy a house. Do I buy a house now or do I wait? Well, I, oh man, this is touchy for any know, any I actually clients. think it's kind of a good time to buy. Was about what I was gonna say. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, people are gonna like, damn, that's such a realtor thing. Like, that's Sell a good me, time Chandler. to buy. Sell me. Um, well, listen, <laughs> like there's going to be some opportunities here. Like if what you're saying happens yeah. and there are, are there's some evidence of it that housing prices are going to come down or continue to come down and perhaps come down more steeply than they have to date. And then I also just mentioned that, well, not many people are listing their home. Well, think about it. The people who are listing their home. Yeah. It's for a reason. Yeah. Right. What's what's the thing, uh, you know, death, divorce and job loss. Right. Like those yeah. are those are three things where people sell. Um, regardless of what the market is doing. Yeah. Um, so those houses are still going to come to market. Those are going to be motivated sellers. There are going to be people who are going to take the number that the market will bear. So as a buyer, maybe there is some value of that. And if you can ride out these higher rates, could you come out the other side in really good position? And this is one of the things when we, if we want to, do we want to pivot in now to the Bank of America situation, what they're doing? Yeah, sure. Um, so we talked about this a little bit on the last episode, Bank of America, because they had such a dubious reputation of not giving loans in certain communities, those communities being predominantly black and Hispanic, and not giving loans to certain people. Again, those people predominantly being black and Hispanic. Um, to, just, but to continue, like to, to give you some facts on that too, both like Bank of America and Wells Fargo have paid out hundreds of millions of dollars for either not giving the mortgages to blacks and Hispanics or charging higher interest rates on those. So they, they have basically admit in sense by paying three, four hundred million dollars in, in fines and, and penalties yeah. for doing this. Like that's that's them admitting. If they, if they didn't believe that that was the case, they would just these are like trillion dollar banks. They it's would fight this also to zero. pretty messed up that essentially they would take a corporate policy. Be like, well, we'll just eat the fine. 
Yeah. We'll just eat the fine rather than give the loan. So that's a pretty yeah. terrible situation. Thanks. So Continue. because they were certainly knocking on the door of probably being exposed for how terrible that is, they came up with this idea, Bank of America, that they would do zero down payment, zero money out of pocket loans in communities that were over 50% black and or Hispanic. Um, which at a glance sounds really good because these are, again, individuals who maybe didn't have as much access to lending. Um, you know, statistically speaking, across North America, uh, they own a disproportionately small amount of real estate. Homeownership is lower than in other communities. So this all sounded pretty good at a glance. But it's an interesting time for them to choose to hand this out. So like we just talked about with everything coming down the pipe, it's funny that it's like, okay, our normal buyers are starting to ease up and slow down. So now we're going to start offering these programs that in any time are higher risk because they're likely 102, 103% loan to value on these properties that are potentially shrinking in value. And we're going after a demographic that also shows in previous statistics that there's also a high likelihood that they're going to get laid off during this time of, they do, of recession. They right? do trend higher unemployment rates than the population as a whole. Um, so you're a thousand percent right. It sounds so good to be like, here you go. You can have this home with zero money down. So you have 0% equity in this property, but it's actually worse than that because they also borrow the closing costs and everything. So they are upside down on the property by say 2% on closing. Yep. Now, if we're predicting the market even just does a modest pullback of another 5%, which seems optimistic. So now they're minus seven. Like they are in the whole 7% of that property's value right you know, within a matter of, of months of moving in. So if they get in a situation where they have to sell the property, well, newsflash, they can't sell it. They would have to pay a 7% premium out of pocket to sell the home. And if they had that extra 7%, well, they wouldn't need this program to begin <laughs> with. So you are kind of setting people up for failure when the, you give them an opportunity to get into a property with no money down. What's the objective? In this climate. What's the objective, though? Because realistically, like... Well, how sinister do you want to get? This is a micro-conspiracy episode, then, if this you want to go on this. Yeah, well, let's have a little micro-conspiracy for a second. Like, what, what is the objective is my thing when I'm sitting here thinking about it? Like... Because if they're going to loan at 103% on these houses that are likely going to depreciate in value, yeah, uh, in the in the near term, in the long term they won't, but in the near ter- in the near term there's a good likelihood that they will. Like, are they they don't want to like take over the real estate. Like, that's not. I don't think that Bank of America is trying to buy a bunch of real estate in uh, multicultural neighborhoods that, on average, are lower income. Like, I don't think that's their objective. Uh, what? And then is it the ESG concept of like, or are they just trying to save face? Or is it like a longer term play with like, look, like we tried to do good. We went into these communities. We gave out a bunch of loans and the default rate was 10 times what we, what we get anywhere else. So like, here's proof of concept yeah. that we can't loan in these communities. I think we're it not could doing be, wrong. I think it could be a combination of all kinds of terrible things. Like you talk about Wells Fargo as if they are a loan entity with kind of one mandate, which obviously is presumably to make money, and that there's no shareholder vested interest in other ways. Like, there would be people that are shareholders in some form of Bank of America that would have a vested interest in these properties um, defaulting, or, you know, it could be one, that they already own properties in those areas and realize that the opportunity to recover uh, their value, if they've invested into that neighborhood, might be five or seven years away. Well, here's an opportunity to sell property that you didn't think you could sell. So there's mm-hmm. a little influx. That's going to, in turn, drive up values artificially in that neighborhood for a certain period of time, which could have uh, advantages. Um, it's going to cause some of these areas possibly to be gentrified, You know, which is a word that people kind of cringe at when they hear. But there's certain... Ad- advantages to investors if an area starts gentrifying. Then you could even get into some really abstract thing where they know they are going to make so much damn money off these increased interest rates over the next 12 months that having something like this on their bottom line that is potentially an offsetting loss could actually make their statements not look as frothy when it comes time to report and say, yeah, you know how we're in a massive recession and interest rates are through the roof? Well, we just set all-time records 
um, for profits because we're making money off these interest rates. So if you have you have a, a mm, bigger appetite like for, for d- default, right? Um, I think there's all kinds of sinister possibilities as to why they may do this or be doing this actively already. Is that enough? I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just like, sorry, I just went, oh, I forgot that we're on the microphone here, but, um, yeah, no, those are there's a ton of there's a ton of reasons. I just went down like a super far fetched idea of like most of these homes and that these people would potentially be living in or potentially buying are likely rentals to begin with right now. And so, hundred percent, like, are you gonna? Is it like someone to, owns them? Is it to aid their bigger clientele in liquidating all of their subprime properties? Um, or to drive up that market in general so those people can show, continue to show strong net worth while they get hammered in other net worth areas. To keep them afloat. Yeah. And keep their bigger, their bigger totally. like white there's, customers there's, up and Yeah, up there, and there's some big um, landlords in those areas that may be getting kicked in, in terms of their personal net worth in all kinds of areas. Well, now if all of a sudden that you know, apartment complex that they have in a relatively low price area sees this injection of cash into the neighborhood and that area gets, you know, falsely propped up temporarily. Well, that benefits these larger land uh, owners in those areas too. It feels super predatory. Oh, it's, I it's think it's predatory such a lending. Weird, like, if they did this two yeah. years ago, it'd be like, oh, yeah, sick. This was. It would have changed a generation of people if they had done this three years ago. Yeah, you know, right around to, it, it would have changed. You would have taken a generation of people who were effectively excluded from home ownership, and as such, it increases the likelihood of their children being excluded from home ownership, and changed that in perpetuity if they had done this three years ago. And because not not only because it, it, um, there there would have been a better climate in general, they also would have seen this run up of a twenty percent potential increase in the value of those homes. Which now, if they did fall on hard times, they could sell those homes even as now as things are are contracting Walk a bit. They would at least be you know three years into home ownership, and at worst, you know neutral to pre pandemic because the market still has to tumble an absurd amount, like twenty five percent more for us to reach the levels of pre pandemic. I think it's even more than that. I think it's like thirty odd percent. So anyone go. who thinks we're going back to twenty eighteen. My God, if we do, it's going to be a... It's going to suck. <laughs> it's going to be insane. So I, I don't think that's going to happen, right? So these people would have been really in such a better position, but they didn't do it then. They're doing it now while the market is collapsing all around people. Yeah, this hurts This hurts my head. It's, it's a little bit sketchy. I, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in like the room of the executives making the final decision at like Bank of America. I feel like they're all... It's like, it's like Dr. Evil's lair. They have like an island with like a face on it and they shoot laser beams and I'm like I think all these banks are like, Oh my god, shot. we are going to make so much money they need to cover for it this up. year and next year. Because Man, if default rates go up a bunch though, they don't necessarily make a ton off of that. Man, you think they're not making a huge difference between interest rates at one point nine and interest rates at five? What are I'm- you kidding me? That is the major source of of bank income by a wide margin. They are not making their money off the $2 you pay at an incre- ATM. They have increased their spread a lot. That's actually something I was looking at. Uh, who was I with? A commercial banker. And they were like, the spread used to be a point, and now it's two. And, and they're, they're you, how, how does this change uh, their expenses as a bank? It doesn't. No, it, it doesn't it, at all. So doesn't. none of their expenses have yeah, changed. I, I guess my thing is, though, it's, like, it's not as simple as like they're making that 4%, because obviously they're paying more money for the money that they're lending out. Um, but they've just increased their spreads for those listening. Like a spread is the difference between what they're paying for the money that they're borrowing from the Bank of Canada or the Reserve and then what they're relending it out at. So if they're paying 3% for the money from BOC and then they're relending it out at 5%, the spread is two points or 200 basis points. Um, and so what I was referring to is the commercial person that I met with in the last week. They were saying like before... The spread, actually, I think the spreads, I'm trying to remember if it came down or went up. I think it came down, oddly enough, between commercial and residential to try and keep things. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Keep I things down. Know. I got I to gotta check back on that and I'll say it but on the, the next one. But the spread between what it costs for them to have money and then lend it out and their expenses and what their revenue they bring in has 100% gone up. Yeah. I, I would I would suspect that would make sense. And it's also easier to blend in an extra 10, 20 basis points when you're already looking at a 5 or 6% rate versus when it's a race to the bottom. Everyone's trying to undercut because people are so fired up to be like, I signed at 1.3%. Also, uh, all their projections on their short-term money are going to be through the roof because they know, oh, the exits for these people are not are going to be way higher rates. So everything we've kind of budgeted for, like we're going to blow it all out of the water. 
These Stank? banks are going to be very profitable, I think, this year and next. It's interesting though, because tough too, because they're going to be. It's going to be hard to get more money out the door when things slow down. That's true. Yeah, you know that, that, I mean? that is true. It's it's like they're going to be they're going to be making a lot of money off the previous money that's out. Yeah. But then recycling new money to get it back out the door is going to be tough. Yeah. Um, but like those loans aren't going to disappear, right? Like people aren't going to be paying off mortgages, so people are going to be doing the same refis. Yeah. Like the money is still going to be out just, there, even so, just the renewals. But like, so the seller doesn't sell, so there's not new money on that deal. Well, what does that mean? You're keeping the existing mortgage product you have. Yeah. Right. Like the the total loan amount is is still out there is it not going up and up and up well it, it's not on new money but on existing money whatever's variable is going up and up and up hmm. it's a great model man we should be the, bank. Should be, be the bank being the borrower be the bank <laughs> yeah. um well shifting gears yeah. to the opposite end of the spectrum with the most expensive listing of all time yeah my boy i'm gonna call my boy Usually you tell me that he's our boy. Oh, he's our boy. Uh, Ryan Sirhant uh, of Sirhant Realty, I believe it's called. Yeah. He and Million Dollar Listing New York. Yeah. So a lot of you guys probably know him from Million Dollar Listing New York. I know him from his YouTube channel. Uh, He's great. He's a bit of a motivational speaker sort of type, and he talks about a lot of his deals and what he does for his businesses, and he shows also very cool properties during that. Um, and he's been continuously getting bigger and bigger listings or being invited to be involved in bigger ones. Uh, and then recently, he last week, he listed the most expensive listing Boom. in the USA for a measly $250 million. Yeah. Needless to say, this is a penthouse condo in New York. Oh, I thought we were in the second or third floor. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a walk-up. It's a walk-up, no parking. Yeah. Uh, $250 million. The monthly condo fee, you guys all know what, we have what condo fees are, what was $74,658? That's the monthly condo fee. That's not like. Yeah. Like, he, like how nice. You is have to buy the thing for 250 building. mil. Yeah. And then you pay. 75 grand a month. 75K a month in condo fees. Yeah. Like, that probably doesn't even include property tax. Property tax is probably another. Oh my God. I can't even fathom what the property tax is. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, we talked about this. I mean, someone's buying that to just get money over here. I did. They're like. Dude, I feel like tax is probably like two hundred grand a month. Oh God! That condo fee actually seems pretty reasonable. I uh, yeah. I mean, that's a decent condo fee per square foot. <laughs> it's probably not too terrible. Do you have the stats on how big the thing is? Uh, I think it was something like eight bedrooms, eight baths. I'm bringing um, it. Up. We we should shop for this. I would have thought it was like. would have been bigger. To be honest with you, I remember I remember seeing the numbers too, being like, "This is not nearly as large as I expected." Um, yeah, the only reason you would buy something like this has to be that you're just trying to get your money into the States. So this is the highest residence in the world. Huh. 1,416 feet tall. Weird fact, that's more than a quarter mile in the air. Because a mm-hmm. quarter mile is 1,320 feet. So you are more than a quarter mile in the air. It is 17,500 square feet. Are you about to make fun of me? I know, I was just going to be like, you could be in the Mile High Club every night, baby, yeah. in, your, in the comfort of your own yeah. condo. Um, so yeah. Quarter Mile Club. <laughs> the Quarter Mile Club. It's got a <laughs> 1,400 square feet of exterior space, which would be epic, because that would also be the highest patio in the world. I remember seeing some images, maybe we can flash them up on here, of the patios, but it is insane. Like, imagine, look at these stairs. Look at wow. This. Look at this. Oh, man, that view of Central Park. Epic. Epic. That is pretty wild. Um, yeah, you guys can check that out. It's pretty easy to find online. So, yeah, check it out. I would too. imagine it is going to be a baller pad. I'd be curious to see. Do you think someone will actually buy that? I don't know. Especially well, right now. Well, sometimes, I mean, that's part of a, a pretty major... Wait, moving money? Yeah, it, well, moving money, but it's also part of a major project that's being built. So when you have that big ticket price, it kind of gets people excited about the building. Obviously, we're talking about it. You know, it's in the post. It's in everywhere. It's only seven um, bedrooms. So it's only seven bedrooms? I oh, mean, I needed eight. 130 um, floor. Jeepers. So, you know, it, it just drives traffic to the building and maybe allows them to sell some of their other stock. But what a time to be bringing to market the most luxurious listing in the history of uh, the city. Well, and so this is almost like a, a show of like the general public going to get beat. But are the real, like the luxury, the rich of the world about to make a shitload of money? Or yeah, are they the owner of this doesn't up? care about the cost of milk. You don't think? No. He gets it straight, straight from the source. I don't know where. I don't know what he's going for with that. He just so gets it straight from the source. He he just has cows. There's space in there. He's got a room full of cows. But they, 
this we'll we'll segue from this straight into what our main topic is going to be. The world of luxury goods. Yeah. Because what's that? Neil's world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The world that I I fake being in because I like I like playing with the stuff and I've always liked trading the things. I like like I want the stuff, but if you're smart about it, I th- I've always said I think you can trade in and out of these markets and not spend that much money and so people are like, "Oh my god, how do you have all this stuff or how do you own own those things?" Well, if, I think if you do your research and you pay attention, you can trade in and out of them. Um, and to that fact, they do literally monitor the cost of just luxury goods. They have Man. an S&P index for luxury goods. I actually recently looked up the value of some magic cards that I used to have oh back God, when I was a virgin, <laughs> obviously. Um, he still owns the cards. <laughs> lightning bolt, lightning bolt. Um, and, and it's crazy what some of these are worth. I'm like, man, I think my buddy Chris had that in like grade eight, had like some of these cards. And it's, it's, those are these weird, nerdy luxury items. But even they see massive fluctuations as the market. Oh, what what know, are we talking about? They hit me with some values. We want to hear about these cards. Oh, man. There are magic cards that are worth $250,000. Can we pause for a second? Is it magic card? Like, is that the... Uh, well, uh, <laughs> is that the is that the card? Or is, like, is it a Pokemon card that's a magic card? Or is it... You? Well, first of all, you have mana. Oh, <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. There's going to be some nerds calling me out on this. It's like a, it's a game you play against each other. You, it's called you have, Magic? It's called Magic the Gathering. Okay, I've heard And of there this. are different series. So, like, you know, cards were reprinted over the years, but if you have a certain card from a certain series that's deemed to be the original, it's in good shape. Like, some of them are hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, yeah, it's pretty wild. So, if people collect those, and I've actually been thinking about some of these alternative investments that, in some cases, outperformed the market, be it sports oh cards. So, Chandler's trading a 12-unit building for 800 Magic cards. If you have Magic cards and you want to get into real estate investing... <sighs> DM Chandler, and he will trade you a building. I feel like there could be a buying opportunity. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but talk about your luxury items. Yeah, your so I'm going to dump into some luxury items. Like I said, first off, like, this is... A, luxury world's a very big market. You'll see, I don't know if he's the third or fourth richest man in the world. I don't even know his name it is anymore off the top of my head. But he is the owner of all the luxury brands, like your Dior's uh, and your Louis Vuitton's. And so luxury spending is huge. And it's funny, and we're going to talk about this as we get into it, but I think, like luxury world isn't just rich people i think it's a lot of people who like they aspire to have one certain item and so they buy it there's a lot of people who don't necessarily have any business buying the stuff yeah. like myself um well, and then there's, yeah. then there's actually the people who are buying it because that's just the snack bracket that they're in and additionally that snack bracket that world of, of rich people has blown up sorry because it used are you to be the US. snack bracket the snack bracket i can you unpack that for me no i've never heard the snack bracket. what is the actual sort of snap no, I don't know what it is. Snack brackets, like, I don't know. I just, I feel like my parents say it. No, I say really? it. Really? Like, Snack that? bracket. That's like what bracket you are for buying treats and special things? Yeah. So, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not calling you out. I, I no, no, no. I, I understand. Similar to how I didn't know what magic cards were. And I'm just saying it. Um, Urban Dictionary has got a weird description that I'm not going to read. Does anyone know what snack Please bracket is? Please comment below what snack comment, bracket is, and you automatically win the $100 and uh, free month of Patreon. No, you don't. But anyways, I'm going to stop using that now no, because no, no. I'm I, I, I kind of into it. Maybe let's coin okay. the term. Okay. Unless we're saying something super dirty. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, snack bracket on that one. Anyways, moving forward... Um, like I said, so this is measured by like multiple different indexes. There's apps now like StockX and things like that that will monitor the prices of watches and shoes yeah. and clothes. Um, the the biggest one that most people would know would be the S and P 500 Luxury Goods Index. Um, that has fallen 25 percent from the highs in November 2021. So that would sort of be like the home price index, like some sort of bundle of goods, but all luxurious. Exactly, items. and it's based yeah. off a bunch of luxurious items like cars, boats, watches, those sorts of sorts of items. And so it's funny to see that that's been coming down since November. Yet I don't think the prices of items have started really coming down until April or May. So, like, mm-hmm. early year, even though that index was falling, it seemed like the aftermarket and the resale market of a lot of these goods remained really strong until the start of this year. It's almost kind of like housing in a, in a, in a, yeah. in a weird way. Um, so, I'm going to give a couple examples of some stuff just to give you a rough idea of how things have changed. Okay. Um, so, a, Pat- a Patek Philippe watch. I'm not sure if you've heard of those. And I'm probably mispronouncing it. I know there's a bunch of people in here that like watches that are going to be like, yo, you're an idiot. Uh, it's a stainless green dial. Okay. 
these were trading for $720,000 USD for a watch, a million bucks Canadian, six months ago. You can now pick one up for around three hundred and fifty grand. So just wow. keep that so in mind. It's a 50%, 50%. drop yeah. in six months. Uh, one that people know a little better would be a Rolex Datejust. You know, that's pretty. That's your, that's your classic Rolex. Everyone knows what those are. Stainless steel. Yeah. They are retail eleven thousand bucks. Three months ago to buy one, it was around twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars. Right, because they couldn't get it. Because you couldn't get one, so people were buying them, and they were Jeepers. flying. Like I, I'm. No, I don't want to say I almost did it, but I thought about buying over retail because I was just like, this is insane. Anywhere you went, they had massive lineups to do it. Right now, they're still trading for about seventeen, fifteen to seventeen thousand dollars. So pullback, but not so, so much. So little pullback, but it's still about twenty-five percent. The ones that got really crazy were. The super specific one. So, Audemars Pigeot, the Royal Oak, it's a very popular watch. It's been around for a long time, very standardized, like kind of an octagon style face. The 50th anniversary edition, three months ago, was $400,000. The retail was thirty four grand. So, you could buy this watch for retail thirty four if you could get the allocation. It was trading aftermarket for 400000 Today, they're about hundred k. Wait, wait, how much were they new? Thirty four grand. And like, they peaked at four hundred. It's like it's like how did how couldn't you see this coming in some ways? But yes, they peaked out of four hundred thousand oh dollars, and now they're down to a hundred grand. But this is only in three months ago. Like in, in three four months, they've dropped from four hundred thousand down to a hundred thousand. So what do you think this indicates? So I mean, it's it's interesting. Watches were a funny one in specific that, like, I think a lot of people that are buying and trading watches. It's a mixture of people who don't actually have money, and I think it was an aftermarket of just like houses where people were literally financing their collections and buying up and buying up and buying up. And so it was this weird propped up thing. Like I know a lot of people that would buy a watch, a Rolex for twenty thousand dollars, then a dealer would offer them thirty five thousand because they had right. someone that would pay forty five thousand. So then they'd get thirty five. They didn't just take the thirty five. They would trade up into another watch that they they're slightly paying up on as well. Yeah. And so you kind of had this like cyclone going on. And so I don't think it was a real market of really rich people buying these watches. Yeah. I think there was a small percentage of those. And realistically, I feel like if you're very rich and well known, you're just calling these companies direct, and they're hooking you up with a watch. And, and honestly, if you're the kind of person who can easily afford a two hundred thousand dollar watch, you're not buying and selling them regularly yeah um and you're not <laughs> selling them on a whim of, oh my gosh it's worth more now i should sell it oh it's worth well, less I, I, I don't know unless someone's like into it as a hobby but the, genuinely wealthy people they don't care about their watch's value on a day-to-day like if you're if your net worth is i don't know 100 mil yeah like you're not like oh i better i better resell this watch and make a quick <laughs> 50 grand like i don't think True. so you're right i think it is probably people who are maybe stretched to purchase those things um why did Hot Tub Universe just call your cell phone? <laughs> I just thought that was funny. It's a funny name. I'm trying to get a hot tub, okay? So I'm calling everyone I can. Neil is part of the problem. He's part of what's driving inflation. Um, you can probably get, so I said this. Do you remember at the start of the pandemic yeah. how hard it was to get a hot tub? Insane. And I remember saying, on sale now. man, after the pandemic, it is going to be so cheap to get a used hot tub. Because... <laughs> the, <laughs> the, Who wants a used hot with tub? With the water still in it. <laughs> um <laughs> Because, one, uh, people are going to realize after you hang out one for a while, like, they're not all that. <laughs> and two, um, you know, I just think people will get tight. There was a lot of money floating around. People, you know, taking checks and just buying hot tubs and realizing maybe that wasn't a smart investment. They're going to come available. So, but you're going right to the source. You're going right to the universe. I'm going to the universe to get one right now. And they're on sale. So the market has shifted. They have them immediately in stock on sale. If you work at Hot Tub Universe, are you a hot tub astronaut? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm Christy. I'll be your hot tub astronaut. Oh, no. Um, anyways, I want to move from what the watches I use just as an example to show you guys because I think that's something that's an indicator of what goes on on a high level. And they had massive fluctuations. The other thing that you're seeing is cars. So car prices were going through the moon. Yeah, what's up with the G-Wagon market? So the G-Wagon market, about four to six months ago, maybe about four months ago, I'll say six, the brand new G-Wagons were trading for three hundred twenty-five to 375000 I know they were as high as 400000 because I called a few dealers and I was quoted $396,000 for a new G-Wagon. Um, they're now already down to about two thirty-five to two seventy-five. Yeah, because technically the, the sticker price on one of those is two hundred and twenty k. Wow, that's a markup. Yeah, so the, now realistically, if you want a nice spec one, they're still going to be in the two seventy five range. 
Uh, USD, so Canadian still like low 300s. 310, 320, 330. Used ones are still holding a fair bit of value. Like, I mean, I can say I, I have a G Wagon, if anyone hasn't figured that out yet. Um, and I, I paid, I'm not going to say what I paid, but I paid at this point and it went up about 30% from there. And I'd say we're floating around back where I've paid now. Right. Um, I suspect with the G-Wagon, where it was a vehicle that had appreciated and held value prior to the pandemic, I'm not overly concerned that I'm going to lose a ton of money on it from here forward. I wish I had sold it. Yeah, your uh, plan was to sell it. Yeah, three months ago, one sold very similar to mine within in our city for way more than I paid for mine. And I wish I just sold it that same day at auction or to that dealership, even at a discount of what they sold theirs for. I kind of dragged my feet and I regret it now because now the market's absolutely getting decimated, especially like a used G-Wagon or any used vehicle. You're now going to pay an extremely high interest rate to get the used financing. Additionally, if you're in Canada, you're going to pay a luxury tax. And that luxury tax is for over $100,000 plus vehicles. You're going to pay 10% of the entire purchase price or 20% of the value over a hundred grand. So that I feel like will have a negative impact on the amount of people buying uh, those priced vehicles. Now, <clears throat> all this being said, the weird thing is the numbers have come out for luxury sales and they're actually up by 5% year over year to $388 billion. And like the reason that I find this weird is because like, well, everything should be turning off. But what you're seeing is it's propped up and it was said it was propped up by clothing, shoes and accessories, which suggests to me it's not the actual rich people because I feel like a lot of very rich people aren't spending their money on tons of on clothing, shoes, and accessories. Right. I think that's more general public yeah. that buy into these brands. And right now, as we know, the general public probably came into some money through the pandemic, through different things. And I know inflation's hitting right now, but people are yeah. still spending aggressively. Like we just talked about, people have continued to spend aggressively uh, with cheap money that they've gotten, wealth that they made on their homes, and things like that. Also, on average, clothing and accessories are up 15, 20% in price. Design of fabrics. Design of accessories. <laughs> so all in all, actual I think actual purchasing has been down, but the prices are up so much, and I think people are still getting through that bit of cash reserve that they had, and so spending still going up. Now, where do I think it's going to go from here? I think on the very high end items, yachts, uh, watch, very high end watches, very high end cars, limited edition vehicles, those are going to continue to maintain value, and within a year or so, continue to tick up in price. It's just once you get to that super, super rich level, I think people will continue to have money. And if anything, they're going to continue to make a fortune through this time. Um, but the the lower end, I think you're going to see a huge drop off in clothing sales, shoe sales. Um, because, again, like we talked about, if a lot of people have unemployment spiking up, yeah. the average Joe is facing a lot of inflation. The last thing they're going to do is go out and buy a $250 T-shirt or a $500 pair of shoes. Like It just doesn't make sense to do so right now. Yeah, but I wish I had the bundle... Uh, for the consumer price index to see how much those items make of it, though, right? Because yeah, what's driving the train is housing, bills associated with housing, food, uh, but consumer goods are a big chunk of it, and they've got to really, they've really got to fall off because right now, the the improved inflation numbers that we're seeing are only because oil has come down. That's really yeah. the only reason. Yeah, everything else, else is, is everything. Yeah, so that's a scary thing, kind of. Uh, like, kind of. That's insanely scary. Yeah. Like everything else is still getting more expensive, albeit at a slower rate. But this is why they're going to keep jacking the rates. And this is the only thing that came out of this is even as, as the prices fall back down, almost every producer, whether it's watch producers, car producers, job producers, they have jacked their prices up for next year. They're like, well, mm-hmm. if we were selling our, our car for 200 and then they were selling aftermarket for 400 right? Then that's why don't we charge 250 off this hop? Yeah. Right, and people just kept sucking it up and didn't really care, and so now all the announced prices for these new companies are way, way higher. And so what's and this is what's always happened. If you look at past recessions or even just regular time, luxury goods have out out have grown at a pace faster than the rest of goods. Like if goods go up at one or two percent, luxury goods go up at five to seven percent. Like it's always at a faster pace. That market's always done a fantastic job of um, creating well limiting supply. Because they can just limit supply. And they know if they put out too many of them, they lessen in value. Like, you have to have that exclusivity. You have to 
keep the market artificially scarce in the same way they do with diamonds, right? There's tons of diamonds kicking around. They just don't release them all. Whoa, conspiracy you know about this? guy. Oh, my God. There's like two or three diamond companies in the world that have all these diamonds just mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hoarded away, but they only drip them out to the market at a slow pace. I have pace. heard this. Um, Gold's so a weird one, too, really. Uh... Well, I don't Diamonds know. Diamonds are like the one that everyone knows, but I feel like gold is also kind of sketchy. I feel like there's so much gold. You think? Yeah. Hmm. But so much gold. Okay. Um, so do you think there's price gouging going on? Totally. There's a ton of price gouging. There's all sorts Across of Across the board? Across the board, whether you're buying luxury goods or regular goods. Like I, I think and I think it's gonna continue because they've now shown like, well, we ha- we're people able will to pay it. people yeah. will pay it. But on oh, God. I, I do think like this is like a generational shift that we're about to see where frugality gets rewarded. I think our, our culture has rewarded luxurious spending and being that type of person. Like I think Man, we talked about this a lot. My whole adulthood, my whole, my whole yeah. long adulthood that I've lived so far, it's always been about buying more expensive shit. Uh, owning the most fancy crap, always. Well, you're going super more. materialistic. <laughs> I'm super materialistic, and it's no, it's but a, it's a product. Reflection. Yeah, I'm a reflection yeah. of what of what this generation has faced, and I think like social media has been a big proponent for that. But it's like all of those things have become. That was like the way to grow is is in, in social media or to, even like in in I think um, just like your social circles. Like it, it wasn't a way to grow, but like people always attribute it to being like a higher level. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's going to switch. And I think fake it till you make it, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Like there's all kinds of, yeah. Whereas I think frugality is about to take a, a big win and it's about to be like, become back to the norm. And I think like I listen to my parents and like the way they chat with their colleagues, like frugality is super important and they are, they share tips on how to be frugal and they, they are appreciate those things. And I know some people are listening yeah. and be like, well, no, I think you're just in a, you're, you're disconnected from the world in the fact that you've been, like living a certain lifestyle for a while, but I just see the the level of respect that you acquire by spending a certain amount of money and having certain things versus not having them, and I think that's going to change. Like I think the the sentiment is going to change, and people will start to respect people who hustle, uh, and pay down their mortgage, and yeah, pay down know. their mortgage and be like, oh, like you're debt free. Like that's a really yeah. exciting thing. Like work side jobs, not and and yeah. you know, be like, oh, that person has to work two jobs. Like no, that person is. Yeah, I know. think there might even become to the point potentially where. People kind of like have a th- like there already is now, but I feel like the distaste for people who wear all the flashy shit and have the flashy shit will will grow. Like I feel like that's going to get worse and worse. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it was necessarily great before, but I think it's going to continue to get worse as the the gap grows. And again, more people are trying to focus on just getting ahead with their life uh, and getting established. Have you ever? Well, have you ever thought about this much? How? the super rich sometimes actually intentionally steer away from some of those products almost as a way to show how rich they are. You know, the the billionaire, Zuck, Zuck is all about this. Like, you know, he shows up in the hoodie and, you know, jeans and they kind of, the, the billionaire wearing flip-flops and stuff like that. They are like, I'm so rich that those items don't even move me. Yeah, it's like, it, that's the new money thing. It's like Elon Musk, he's got no houses. I don't think he really has much for cars outside of his Teslas. Like, he doesn't really spend money on anything either. A lot of these guys do that. I think it's I think it's partially for social acceptance. Yeah, um, man of the people make you know becomes billionaire. Yeah, exactly, billion, man yeah. of the people. You, I think you take less hate for doing that. Um, but that is the new money thing. One thing I also say, like, I think for those people, they had a different motivation like they didn't get into the business they got into to make money. They got into the business they got into to change the world or change something by doing that, which is a super noble way to do it. And I, I feel like I'd love to be able to say I did something like that, but it's, yeah. it's such a gamble. I think there's so many people, like I think 99.9% of people who try to like go out and change the world through an idea that they have, uh, they don't have the fortunate ability to execute at the level that it gets to something super high. Yeah. Um, but it's similar to, I forget what his name is, but he's the richest 20 year old in the world now. Uh, he owns a crypto trading platform and he made whatever, 20, 30 billion dollars in the span of a couple of years. And they went to his, his house and he showed up and he pulled up in a Corolla. Now there's anything wrong with that, but if you have 30 billion dollars, everyone would assume you're going to drive something else. Yeah. And like he just rented a, a four or something. He rented a big house and had all his friends living in it. And that was it. Like he didn't. He wore like his shirt. I think had like a rip in it. This was Forbes interviewing him. Like so, like yeah. Forbes is showing up to take pictures to put him on the cover of Forbes, and he's just like, "Yo, what's up?" Like I'm in. I'm just yeah. chilling in like my old raggy clothes. And they asked him, and he said, "Like I didn't do it for that. I didn't care about the money. I didn't do it for that. I did it for this reason, and I just kind of enjoy the game, and I want to change the world." So he's actually giving all of his money away and making all well, these. Well, see donations. what Pantagonia did. But 
Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of tax windfalls. So Patagonia, um, the owner of Patagonia, signed off his company to all the profits are going to go towards like a humanitarian. Effort. Yeah, it's like set up in this trust, and it's going to go towards uh, combating climate change. Yeah, stuff like that. But it's it's an interesting one. Like I think it's good. It's good, but I believe there was a giant. He's going to be pissed when he finds out climate change isn't real. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> and the podcast just yeah, got pushed I think down. Got We're not getting any views. Again. Oh, and God. that's the end of that. Thanks, Chandler. We had five minutes left. You could you could have just yeah, held out. I just cut us off of the you knees. You couldn't do it. But no, I saw that he did that. I think there was a big giant tax windfall, wasn't there, for him? Because I think he, like that business was owing a shitload of money, and now he... oh really? Oh, I, I don't I feel know. Like there's I always something on the back end with these guys. That have that gets. for next episode because I'd kind of be curious as to what that deal is. But yeah, um, just to wrap us up on this curious thing that. I heard one time when I was talking to someone who, uh, you know, was pretty high up at Nike because I was like, man, I was working at Cleves at the time and we had the Jordans. I think it was like the Jordan 20s or something. They were sold in this box, man, and they were way up on the top shelf so you yeah. couldn't reach them. And they came in like their own briefcase and then the Jordans were in like this silk, you know, liner and all this stuff. And they were maybe at the time some astronomical number, which would have been like 239,000, which is nothing now for a, you know, a new pair of Jordans. But, and then they also had like thirty nine thousand uh, dollars. Sorry, $239, period. Sorry. Holy Jesus. And then they also had like we had our lower end Nikes, our discount yeah. Nikes for like seventy nine bucks. And it's like and they look, you know, not as nice, obviously. Like, man, they cost the same to make. Like, why don't you make why like why don't you just make these ones look cooler? He's like, You don't understand, like we need to offer a product like that, but we don't want it to look too good because then everyone if everyone can afford it the value of what a nike sneaker is goes down and we need to have these ones that are top shelf that no one's able to afford or or just a small small number of people are able to afford if we went out there and just made an affordable economic cool looking sneaker that everyone could afford well then everyone would buy it and we don't want everyone buying our sneaker it's that simple yeah, well, I mean, I think they do that with cars too, right? Like, it's like every brand, like Dodge has like this crazy SRT Hellcat Trackhawk, like Insano car that realistically they're only going to produce a small number of. Oh. But then everyone who buys their regular Challenger for 40K is like, eh, we got the same DNA. And like, right, right. It, you know what I mean? It's like that Halo car. It's the same with like the Halo shoe and same with the watches. Like, there's always like that watch that's like a $5 million yeah. uh, that. I think kind of defines the brand and shows what the brand's capable of is what they like to put it as. Yeah. Um, but you're right. It, there's never like anything that's much more. Like I think Rolls Royce is a car that they sell for $30 million. And it's like, it's, Jeepers. I was looking at it. I'm like, that's kind of just like a customized Phantom. And the Phantom's like 600 K. And I'm like, still pricey, but yeah, <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like there's not $29,400,000 in the difference between those two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you need that top shelf one to kind of, yeah, sell the exclusivity stuff. and give yeah. give that brand an idea. Um, anyways, moving on. One thing I want to ask you about before we completely tip this off, if anyone's yeah. still listening, but luxury tax. Oh my gosh, what are you? What are your thoughts? What do you think that's going to do to the market? So yeah, I want to hear what you're going to say before I say anything. Uh, I mean, we talked a little bit about this before, and you can give me the a- actual breakdown. Is ten or twenty percent? So luxury tax is implemented by the federal government in Canada September first, and what it is is any vehicle over a hundred thousand dollars, you are subjected to an extra tax of ten percent on the entire purchase price, or twenty percent of anything over a hundred thousand dollars. The lesser of the two, surprisingly. What's the Ford one fifty? Uh, base model is going to be like 60 top end is going to be like 95 okay. so this slides right under there but I'm just saying like for now are, next year probably there, not there are vehicles that are going to top over that that people might be surprised a Ford Raptor would be which is a fancy F-150 would be like in the hundreds the big ones would be over 100 um, G-Wagons would be over 100 um, a lot of German cars would be over yeah, 100 I don't know It's just Corvettes over 100 I just think we RAV4. have this problem where um, when we get in these situations and everyone's looking around and trying to make ends meet, it's an easy time for government to put taxes on, you know, things that people, uh, that rub people the wrong way. Like you made the point of how, um, you feel like there could be this pushback against people who have luxury items and, you know, flaunt luxury clothes and things like that. Well, the government realized, oh, well, now we'll just tax the crap out of that. You know, because the the people will behind it be behind it, but I don't really know if that makes anyone better off at all. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know that there's a huge value to it. I think the purchasing will still take place. I think people are just going to get creative on how they do it. One thing the government put in that I thought was kind of funky is any upgrades, so options or wraps or v- things you do after the purchase are still a part of that tax for the next year. So if you buy it, it's $150,000, like a Porsche 911. Yeah. That's a base model, let's say 150 k and then you go out and do $20,000 wheels. You owe the tax on those wheels as well. Uh, yeah, because they were trying to think of like, oh, guys are going to find loopholes and they're trying yeah. to close them all. Uh, the one that someone commented this, and I thought it was hilarious, uh, on boats, they call them flags of convenience. Okay. Right? Um, where you're like, oh, yeah, this is my boat, but it's actually like registered oh, in the Bahamas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so they fly out the flag of the Bahamas or, or wherever they want to be taxed out of. Uh, and that's the little way of getting around it, which is. You're I about to see a ton of cars registered in like Michigan yeah. in Toronto now. Every yeah. supercar ever is going to be like New York and Michigan and Massachusetts and like Florida and Ma- Ma- Montana. Yeah. It's so again, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that. I don't think it's going to curb the market because again, I think. Well, actually, uh, to your point, a lot of people were stretching to get these things, uh, and I think that market's already going to slow down because they're not going to stretch to do it anymore. And the people who are going to get those, no matter what inflation's at, no matter what's going on in the markets, they're still just going to buy them. And great, the government gets a bit more money that they can waste and. You know, I don't see what that really. Are you concerned about the Rav Four pricing peaking out over a hundred? Well, I mean, I do actually have to. My wife's lease is coming up, um, and I don't know what to do with the product. But our financing is going to change. Uh, I don't think the Rav the Ravs are going to break the hundred thousand dollars. I bet you. How much did you, you price the top end Rav? What was that thing? I don't know. How much? Thirty three thousand. Top end? No way. No. That's okay. That's there's like most a, of them. Yeah, yeah. There's a base model for 33k. That seems really cheap. God, that, damn, that's a great deal on a vehicle. <laughs> well, it really is, man. Where's my Rav4 sponsorship, guys? Can't be beat. Can't be beat. All right, let's Anyways, wrap it up yep. here. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Just a reminder: uh, if you're still here, like, comment, subscribe. Um, tell us something about yourself. No, you'll be entered into the draw for a hundred bucks and one month free to the Patreon. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate the support. Thanks, guys. Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week. When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.